in Matthew chapter number 13. If you're there, say amen. amen. And if you haven't found your way there yet, we won't judge you, all right? Uh, but by this point, you might want to go back to the concordance at the beginning of the Bible to find where Matthew is, okay? Uh, but we're going to have a good time. We have taken about a two-month um, break from our verse-by-verse -verse study through the Gospel of Matthew, and I have really been looking forward to getting back into uh, our study through the Gospel of Matthew, and so we begin that journey back today in what is the 40th uh, message that we have preached from the Gospel of Matthew so far. You say, Pastor, how did you cram 40 messages into 12 chapters? Well, your best guess is mine, okay? But we did it, all right? Um, and so we're going to continue to have a good time studying through the truth of God's Word. And as we begin Matthew 13, I'll just tell you what's about to happen. I'm going to give you a lot of context of what's going on at this point in the Scripture. And this is important. It's absolutely important for our ability to be able to understand what it is that we're about to study from the Scripture. So I want you to hang with me because what we're about to unpack is some incredible stuff from the Scriptures. In Matthew chapter 13, there is a transition, a major transition that takes place in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ as it is recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. Up till this point, Jesus had been declaring the gospel of the kingdom and, and presenting himself to national Israel as their Messiah. And with the intention of them accepting him so that he could set up his earthly kingdom on this, on this earth. But what we saw happen in Matthew chapter 12 is that the leaders of the people of Israel rejected the ministry of Jesus Christ. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is one of the last things that we studied in Matthew chapter 12. And that's exactly what they had done. They rejected Christ and his earthly mission on this earth. And on the very same day that they rejected Christ, the Bible tells us that these events, this story that we're about to read in the scripture took place. Look at verse number one of Matthew 13. The Bible says the same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. So on this same exact day when he's rejected by the nation of Israel, Jesus foregoes establishing his earthly kingdom on this earth. And he begins what was his foreordained mission in coming to the earth the first time. And that is coming to establish his spiritual kingdom on this earth. Now the Bible tells us about how this dynamic took place in John chapter 1 and verses 11 and 12. It says that Jesus came to his own, but his own received him not. It's talking about Israel. Then it says in verse 12 that as many as did receive him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And so after being rejected by Israel, Jesus postponed his plans to establish his earthly kingdom until after the time that Romans chapter 11 tells us the fullness of the Gentiles had come in. You see, here's what happened. At first, Jesus proclaimed the message only to the Jewish people. But after this point in his ministry, he began to declare the message to the Gentiles. That's all the nations of the world. And by the way, how many of you are thankful that the gospel of Jesus Christ is available to every tribe, tongue, and nation? To all of us. 
And it's at this point in Jesus' ministry that this major shift begins to take place. And you begin to pick, on, pick up on it very clearly. When Jesus began his ministry in Matthew 4, at the very beginning, the message he preached was that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's about to be here. But at this point, his message changes. Now he starts to talk about the mysteries of a kingdom that nobody had ever heard about before. And in Matthew chapter 13, there are eight parables that Jesus shares that we often call the mystery parables. Because Jesus is beginning to talk not about a physical kingdom that he's going to establish, but a spiritual kingdom that he was coming to this earth to establish among the nations. And so there's, there's this mysterious parentheses in God's plan that nobody, even the Old Testament prophets, had any idea was coming. In Colossians chapter 1, and they believe this is in your notes, in verse 26, the Bible speaks of this as the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his, Jesus' saints. And here is the mystery. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, Jesus did not come to establish the first time a kingdom on this earth in a physical sense. But Jesus came the first time to establish a kingdom in you, in your heart. It's Christ in you, the, the, uh, the, the hope of glory. And that's the mystery that the Bible is alluding to here. And this time period that Jesus is ushering the world into in Matthew 13 is the time period we often call the church age in church history. And that is still the age of history that we are in today. We are still living in the church age of what the Bible, uh, uh, how the Bible tells us the events of the world are going to fall. Now, let me say, the Bible also does tell us that there is coming a future day when Jesus is going to come back and he's going to finish what he started and he's going to set up his kingdom on this earth. And the Bible tells us in several places that will happen after the second coming of Jesus Christ. But the reason I'm sharing this with you is because what is happening in Matthew 13 is not a set of parables that is given only to Jewish people. Listen, the truth that we are studying here is truth that was meant for us today, all right, in this present church age. And so everything we're about to study is something that is for us as New Testament believers and as people who live in this present day. And as I said, in this chapter, Jesus gives us eight parables to begin to teach us as his disciples the mysterious nature of this spiritual kingdom that he was coming on this earth to establish. Now, we're not going to look at all eight, so don't let me scare you, all right? Uh, we're just going to start with the very first one of these parables. And uh, as we begin to look at what the scripture tells us, I want to set some context for you. And so I want you to look at uh, four contextual uh, introductory statements here. The first thing I want you to note down is the setting. Let's notice the setting of this parable. Look at verses 1 and 2. The Bible says in verse 1, The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. And great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. So this is a day when Jesus had been rejected by his nation, and he had, he, his ministry had transitioned not to only preach to the Israel, the national Israel, but to all the nations of people. And while the leaders of Israel rejected the ministry of Christ, we find in verse 2 that the Bible says the multitudes still flocked 
to come hear Jesus. They wanted to hear Jesus. They wanted to experience his ministry. And so he went, he basically got kicked out of the cities and he went to the open fields. And here we find him on the seashore where he was welcomed and all these multitudes came to hear him teach and to hear him preach. That's the setting for this parable. Here's the second introductory truth I want you to notice and that is the system. Notice the system. Verse number three. Look at verse three. The Bible says, and he spake many things unto them in what? Parables. Parables. Uh, Parablos is the, the Greek word there. Jesus started using a new teaching style. One that he had not really employed before. He started using parables here. Uh, a parable means to lay something alongside another. All right? It's basically a comparison. Today we might call it an illustration. And Jesus took a secular story to help people understand spiritual truth. That's what a parable is. A secular story that helps people understand spiritual truth. Um, uh, to put it frankly, he took really spiritual, uh, 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 spiritual uh, facts and he brought it down to the bottom shelf where people could understand it. That's what Jesus was trying to do with these parables. And uh, Jesus, uh, as, we, as we will see further as we study this, he spoke to the masses in these parables. Well, the interesting thing is he didn't explain the parables to anybody but his most intimate disciples. And uh, we're going to uh, dig into this more in just a little bit. But really the point of Jesus speaking in parables was as much to conceal truth as it was to reveal truth. And here's, here's why Jesus began to speak, speak in parables. Because he wanted anybody who wanted to know the truth of God to have to come find it through him. Jesus told a group of religious leaders who had rejected him in John chapter 5 and verse 39. He said, search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and they are they which testify of me. And so Jesus made it very clear that uh, it, those who really wanted to know the truth were going to have to come to him to be able to understand the truth of the sermons that he was preaching in this parable form. So we see the setting for this parable. We see the system. But now let's look at the story. Number three, write down the story. And the story begins in verse number three. And so let's look at verse three together. And we'll read down through verse nine. And here's the parable that Jesus shared. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside. That's the first kind. And the fowls came and devoured them up. And some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth. And forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns. And the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. And let's read verse 9 out loud together. Who have ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus began to share this incredible story uh, that we often refer to as the parable of the, the sower. Now, the point of this parable is to convey a very simple truth. And that is that the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is a message that goes out to all people. 
And as you study what the Lord has to say about this parable and all the passages of Scripture, it's written in three different Gospels. One of the things that Jesus made very clear is that this is the foundational parable. This was, one of the, the, this was the first parable that Jesus shared. And Jesus shared it to lay a foundation upon which all of the other parable teaching was going to be built upon. Because when it comes to understanding the kingdom of heaven and how you can enter into it, it starts here with the seed of the word of God being planted in your heart and you trusting it and getting saved. And that's why this is a foundational parable for all the other parables that Jesus was going to share. Now in this parable, there are three essential elements that are very easy for us to understand. First, there's the sower. There's the farmer that goes out and casts the seed into the field. All right? That is a picture of anyone who shares the word of God. The second element is the seed itself. The seed that's cast onto the ground. And the seed is a picture of the word of God that is sown. And the last element of this parable is the soil. The soil on which the seed falls. And the soil is a picture of the different types of hearts who can receive the truth of God's word. The Bible tells us, and Jesus indicated there are four different kinds of soil. Four different types of hearts that can receive the truth of God's word. One of the things you need to understand is that every single one of you possesses one of these kinds of hearts. The, the hearts that Jesus describes for us here. And as we study this parable, God wants you to evaluate the condition of your heart. Where is your heart at today? When it comes to the truth of God's word being sown into your heart, how are you receiving it? That's the kind of question that you are going to be asked to answer by the Lord Jesus as we study this passage of Scripture together. Because I believe that many professing Christians suffer from what we could call a condition of spiritual deafness. You may come to church every week. You may hear the Bible being spoken about physically. But spiritually, you are not hearing what God is trying to say to you. We could say you're suffering from a condition of spiritual selective hearing. How many of you know somebody who has selective hearing? Now, oftentimes they just say, well, I can't hear anything. But they really can. They just don't want to hear everything necessarily. It reminds me of the story I heard about an older gentleman. He spent most of his life not being able to hear. And finally he went to the doctor and the doctor prescribed him some hearing aids. And when he got these hearing aids, they restored his hearing to 100%. And it was a wonderful thing, and he's very happy for the man. The man went home. Three weeks later, he comes back to see the doctor, and he has this follow-up appointment for these hearing aids, and he tested them out, and he said, Sir, they're still working and giving you 100% the ability to hear. And boy, your family must be so happy that you can hear now. And the guy said, No, they don't, I haven't told them that I got my hearing aids yet. <laughs> I've already changed my will three times. Hey, some of you should try that. That's not a bad idea, okay? 
But anyways, this guy had a little, little case of selective hearing, I suppose. And I think that's where sometimes we can get, we're so used to hearing the word of God that we come oblivious to what God is actually trying to say to us. And here's the dangerous thing about spiritual selective hearing. It is God who is trying to talk to you. The most important voice in your life, in the universe. And you are not listening. That is a very dangerous place to be. And so we find the story, the fourth preliminary truth we see is the secret. We should write down the secret next. Now let's look at verse number 10 together as we begin to see the secret Jesus talks about. In verse 10, the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? And he answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to them it is not given. The disciples of Jesus were absolutely baffled by how Jesus' teaching style had changed. But they had been traveling with him all this time. They'd heard every sermon he ever preached, every lesson he ever taught. And they, among all people, could tell Jesus had changed his style. He changed the way that he was speaking to people. And they could not understand them. And I want you to understand this. What confused them was not the fact that Jesus spoke in parable. Jesus had often used picture stories to illustrate truth. It wasn't confusing to them that Jesus spoke in parable, but what confused them is that he left the stories unexplained. He just told the story, and then he didn't give the moral of the story. And what's the point, they thought, in telling a story if you're not going to tell them what the story meant? And so they come to Jesus and they said, Jesus, why are you doing this? Why aren't you explaining what you're trying to teach to the people? And Jesus gave them essentially two reasons for why he was speaking in parable. And those two reasons are this. He spoke in parables to reveal the truth to some and to conceal the truth from others. I'll say it again. He spoke in parables to reveal the truth to some and to conceal the truth from others. And his true followers were given the ability to understand the word that he spoke. But those who just came to see the miracles... Those who just came to see the popularity of Christ, those who weren't really interested in Christ, but were interested in something that they could hope to benefit from Christ, the superficial hearers were not given the ability to actually understand what it is that Jesus was saying. Jesus came to unfold to the world truth that was previously hidden uh, from the rest of society. And, and, and here's, here's really the point of why Jesus spoke this way. Jesus spoke truth that any person who genuinely wanted to know what Jesus was talking about would have to become one of his followers and come to him to be able to understand it. Jesus came to unfold a mystery that this world up to this point had never come to understand. And the mystery was essentially this. Jesus came to reveal to the world God's preordained plan to send his son to die for the sins of humanity so that we could all be redeemed. And that's one of the big things that Jesus came to reveal. And the thing is, the only way that anyone could come to understand this truth is by coming to Jesus to be able to understand it. And I say to you, Jesus is still the only way for men and women to be saved. 
neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's only through Jesus. And so this mysterious truth, it only makes sense to those to whom it is given. Now look at verse 12 because Jesus tells us so much. In verse number 12, Jesus said, For whosoever has, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever has not, from him shall be taken away even that he has. Jesus talks about two kinds of people here. Don't miss this. The first kind of people are those who have it. They have something. What do they have? They have the ability to understand what Jesus was talking about. And what Jesus is referring to here is those who have trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. They have the ability to understand the gospel. And here's the awesome thing. When you get saved, the Bible says that God places his spirit inside of you. And his spirit acts as his agent to help you be able to understand even more of God's truth. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 2 and verse number 12, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. And those who have what Jesus is talking about are those who have truly trusted Christ as their Savior, and they have the ability of the Holy Spirit of God to understand the truth that Jesus shares in his word. But there's a second type of person. The first type of person is one who has what Jesus is talking about. The second type of person is a person who doesn't have it. This is talking about unbelievers. People who have not genuinely accepted the truth of God's word conveyed from Jesus Christ. The Bible goes so far as to say that those who have not trusted in Christ as their Savior cannot understand the spiritual truths of God's word. Look down in your notes at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. The Bible says, But the natural man, or the lost man, receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. The lost man cannot possibly understand the deep riches of the truth of God's Word, because it all sounds like foolishness to him. Perhaps you've come to church before. Perhaps even now. You're listening to the truth of God's word being conveyed, and in your heart of hearts, you're thinking, ah, that's a bunch of foolish talk right there. You're lost, and you need to come to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's the sad thing. Jesus said that for this person who does not have what Jesus is trying to give him, if he continues to refuse it, he will eventually lose it. And people who reject the word of God about Jesus Christ long enough eventually lose their opportunity to receive Christ as their Savior. And this is a severe warning. One person put it this way. He says, when a person says no to God, God will eventually say no to that person. God tries to give you his word over and over and over again. And you keep saying no. And you keep saying not yet. And you say later on in life, I'm not ready yet. And you give every excuse in the book. There's eventually going to come a point when you say no and God says okay. And you don't hear anymore. Jesus paints this great contrast here between two different types of people. And if you boil it down to its simplest fact, 
There are two types of people that exist in this world. Those who have Christ and those who don't have Christ. John chapter 3 and verse 36 says, He that has the Son of God has eternal life. And he that does not have the Son of God has not even seen life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Listen to me. This is not rocket science. You either have him or you don't. I can't almost have him. I can't say, well, I'm really working at trying to have him. You either have him or you don't. Or I think more significantly, either he has you or he doesn't. Listen, you're saved or you're not saved. There's no middle ground. There's no in-between. You've either believed in Christ to forgive you of your sins and be your Lord and Savior, or you have not done so. And Jesus begins to make very, very clear to his disciples that this parable is all about identifying those who have Christ and those who don't have Christ. And the single most important question you will ever answer in your life is do you have Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And I wonder what your answer is to that question this morning. Now, in the following words, Jesus contrasts the state of those who reject Him with the state of those who accept Him. I want you to look at verse 13. In verse 13, the first group He refers to is the sorry state of those who reject His Word. Verse 13, the Bible says this, Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing, see not. In hearing, they hear not. Neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Esaias, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand. And seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, or fat. And their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. Boy, these words describe those who simply aren't willing for whatever reason to receive the truth of God's word. They can physically hear and see the truth being communicated, but spiritually they can't. The, the, the Bible uses strong language here. Their hearts have become so callous to it that they won't receive it. Their ears have become so dull to it that they won't listen to it. And their eyes, they've closed them. And they're not willing to even look at the truth that Jesus is trying to convey. And the, the funny thing is, Jesus is trying to give them truth that can save their souls, but they won't Listen, and they won't receive it. It's the sorry state of those who refuse to receive the word of God. Now, the second group Jesus refers to in verse number 16, he speaks of the blessed state of those who do accept Christ as their Savior. In verse 16, Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see and have not seen them. And to hear these things which you hear and have not heard them. Boy, what a stark contrast. As opposed to those who won't receive the truth of God's word and how detrimental their state is, devastating their state is, Jesus looks at his disciples and said, Boy, you're blessed because you do see the truth. That I am the Savior and you have chosen to follow me and you have chosen to believe me and you are able to see the truth of God's word. And he begins to tell them about how blessed they are. And I'm going to tell you something. Don't miss this. 
If your eyes have been opened to the truth of Christ and you have accepted him by faith, you are a blessed person indeed. The Bible says in Ephesians 2 and verse 8 that it is by the grace of God that we are saved through faith and it doesn't come of ourselves. It's a gift of God. And you, if you've received the gift of having your eyes open to see that you're a sinner and Christ is a Savior and you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you've had His Spirit move into your heart. And boy, when you read the Bible, it's not a perfect thing, but when you read the Bible, God opens your eyes to be able to see the truth that God communicates in His Word. You are a blessed person if you are a child of God. Can I have somebody say amen to that? Amen. It's a blessed thing to be a child of God. Many people in the Old Testament never had the privilege to experience what we get to experience in seeing the completed canon of Scripture and being able to experience the finished work of Jesus Christ. We are blessed people to know Christ as our Savior and to be able to experience the things that we experience. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 12 even indicates that the angels are jealous about what we have. <laughs> The angels desire to look into the things that we are blessed with as the children of God. And so to know Christ is to be a blessed person indeed. All these things are true. But after explaining this divine contrast to his true disciples, Jesus paints a vivid picture. There are two types of people in the world. Those who have Christ and those who do not have Christ. And it is in that context that Jesus speaks again in explaining the four different types of soil. So I bring you back to his parable. Now, I'll be completely transparent. All of that was introduction. You say, Pastor, your introduction is longer than most people's sermons. Okay? I understand that. We only have five verses left. and We don't have much time left. And I'll, be, I'll be diligent with it. But here's what I want you to understand. We needed to lay all that groundwork in order that we would truly be able to understand the parable that Jesus is about to explain to us here. Now, I'll say to you again, in this parable, there's a sower. The sower represents anybody who throws out the seed of God's word. Anyone who preaches the word or shares the word with someone else. That could be anybody, all right? Uh, whether you're a kid or you're the most experienced farmer that, it is, that, that there is, uh, anyone can sow a seed into the ground. You can sow the seed of God's word. That's the sower. The seed itself is the word of God that is thrown upon people's hearts. And the soil is the focus of the parable. The soil is what the parable is mostly about. And the soil represents the different kinds of hearts that exist inside of every person's soul. You have one of these types of hearts that is about to be described for us here. Now, my neighbor... Uh, well, my previous neighbor, uh, he really wanted to grow a garden in his yard. And uh, there's just a lot of alkaline in the soil where we're at. And so try, he and his wife try as hard as they might. They could not get anything to grow in that soil there. So one day I came home and I watched and truckload after truckload of soil was being brought in. And this guy just started dumping all kinds of good soil with good nutrients in it in an attempt to try to change the type of soil that he had in his yard so he'd be able to grow some things. And he was actually pretty successful um, at getting that done. Here's what I want you to understand before we even begin talking about these kinds of hearts. It is possible for whatever kind you are 
to be changed by the grace of God. If you have had a heart that is indifferent to the Lord, you do not have to leave this place today with that kind of heart. But the question you need to answer before we leave is what kind of condition is the soil of your heart in? We're going to look at these four different kinds of hearts. Four different kinds of responses you can have to the gospel of Christ. Here's the first one. I want you to write down the wayward heart. The wayward heart. Look at verse number 18 and 19 again. If you're still with me, say amen. Amen. Verse 18, the Bible says, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside. Now in the land of Bible times and the Palestinian area, the wayside referred to those little paths that people would walk between all of the fields that were scattered all over the countryside. And there were so many farmers, especially during that time period of history, but the farmers didn't want people walking through the middle of their fields. So that's the same way today, I would assume. So they developed these paths that went between the fields, and so many people would walk on them that they would become well-trodden paths. Imagine the picture here. The sower goes to sow the seed, and some of the seed that he throws out, it falls on this well-worn path, this wayside path. And it's so hardened from being walked on so much that the seed cannot go under the ground. And therefore, the birds of the air, they come and, and they take it off, and they steal it away. This is the seed that's sown on the wayside. And in much the same way, the person who is wayward is a person who has a hardened heart. Their heart has become hardened to the truth of the gospel. And listen, some people come in and they'll listen to the gospel being preached. But it's like it goes in one ear and right out the other. And they get up and they walk away like nothing ever happened. Their heart has become hardened to the truth of the word of God. And some people become hardened to the gospel because they've heard it so much and rejected it or ignored it for so long that it no longer affects them. And here's the sad thing about a hard heart. It makes it very easy for the enemy, the wicked one, Satan. When you have a hard heart, it makes it very easy for him to come and snatch the truth of the gospel away from you whenever someone tries to share it with you. By the way, one of the biggest things that hardens people's heart is religion. Well, that's not how my religion says this is supposed to work. Fooey on religion. What does the Bible say? That's what matters. What does Jesus say? That's what matters. We allow our hearts to become hardened. We allow the enemy an opportunity to steal away the seed of God's word that he's trying to plant in our hearts. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4.4 that the God of this world, that's the little g God, that's Satan. Satan has blinded the minds of them which do not believe, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And I'm telling you this morning, Satan is an expert at his job. 
He knows just what to do to get someone's heart hardened so they won't receive the truth of the gospel. Sometimes your heart gets hardened by pride. Well, what will other people think? They'll think less of me if I come up there and I trust Jesus Christ as my Savior. Sometimes he uses a fear of man. Well, I've been a member of this church for 30 years. What do they think about me if I walk up there and say I've never actually been saved? See, Satan can use all types of things. He'll use religion. He'll use false prophets. He'll use all kinds of things to get your heart hardened so when the gospel is preached, you won't be willing to receive it. I wonder if you have a hard heart. You say, Pastor, I've heard this before. I've heard this from the time I was a little kid. I know it all. You might know it here, but you've never understood it here. You've never truly trusted Christ to forgive you of your sin. You need to break up the fallow ground of your heart. Instead of being hardened, you need to let the Word of God grind up that hardened soil of your heart. Begin to listen again to what God's trying to say to you. There's the wayward heart. I wonder if you have it. Second kind of heart is the weak heart. The weak heart, look at verse number 20 in the Bible with me if you would. Verse number 20. The Bible says, verse 20, And he that received the seed into stony places... The same as he that heareth the word. And anon, or immediately, with joy, he receives it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but endures for a little while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by, he is what? Offended. Offended. Now sometimes, when the sower goes out to sow his seed, he throws out the seed and it falls onto ground that is stony ground. The difficulty with the stony ground is when the seed falls, it, 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 it will go into the ground just a little ways. And it will sprout up very quickly. But there's no place for the roots to grow. And so it's all surface appearance of growth. There's nothing real or in-depth that is actually taking place. It's only a shallow type of growth. What inevitably happens because it has no roots it will produce no fruit. And the reality for this kind of plant is that the sun's going to begin to scorch it and it's very soon going to die and wither away. That's the kind of soil Jesus is talking about here. And such is the case of someone who has experienced only a shallow faith. A shallow profession of faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Oftentimes this kind of profession of faith is one that is provoked because of emotionalism. Maybe you made a decision to trust Christ. You didn't really understand what you were doing. Maybe you were told, well, if you'll raise your hand during a church service, so if you'll pray this prayer, then you'll be saved. You don't understand what you were doing. You don't understand you're a sinner. You didn't understand your need for Christ, but you prayed a prayer, and they told you you were saved, and so you think you're good. I'll say this. Shallow evangelism is probably the greatest proponent of shallow faith among people. A person cannot be saved unless they understand their need for a Savior. And salvation always starts with understanding you are a sinner. And without Christ and what He's done for you on the cross, you cannot hope to be saved from what you deserve for the consequences of your sin. But a person who has this kind of weak faith, this kind of weak heart, is not someone who has truly understood the cost of trusting Christ as their Savior. And unfortunately, as the Bible tells us here, for this kind of person, 
whenever difficulty arises in their life because of the word, that's what verse 21 says, because of their faith in Christ, difficulties arise, they eventually come to a place where they get offended. And I want you to note in particular, it's not just any type of difficulty that causes them to turn their faith on the Lord, but it's difficulty that becomes because they profess to be Christians. Well, whenever that kind of difficulty comes up, they say, this is not what I signed up for. I'm out of here. That's the kind of heart of this type of person. And I tell you, nowhere in the Bible does Jesus tell us that your life is going to be so much easier because you become a follower of Jesus. In fact, just to the contrary, the Lord tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, Yea, all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You will not escape troubles. In fact, sometimes you'll have troubles that you wouldn't have had if you hadn't trusted Jesus as your Savior. And you say, well, you're making this very appealing, Pastor. It's appealing enough as it is. Jesus died for your sins and can save you and give you eternal life. And you need that. And that's a wonderful thing, but that doesn't mean that this life is always going to be easy for you. And a person who only has a shallow faith, they're told that Christianity is wealth, health, and prosperity. They're told you can name it and claim it, and if you trust in Jesus, you can have whatever you want. And that's simply not what the Bible says. The shallow faith will soon fade when the time of trial begins to come. Adrian Rogers used to say, a faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. And it's a true statement. And so many people get offended in their faith whenever the trial comes up in their life. Because there is no root, there could be no fruit in their life. And I'll say this before we move on. The same trial that makes a false professor's faith wither will be the trial that strengthens the faith of a true believer. You truly have believed in Christ. The trials won't turn you away from Christ. They'll grow your faith stronger in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I ask you again, how is the soil of your heart? Do you have a weak heart today? A shallow faith that never was anything real? We see the weak heart. We see the wayward heart. Here's the third heart I want you to write down. And that is the worldly heart. The worldly heart. Are we having fun yet? Oh, this is good. And I hope you're listening. Verse 22, the Bible says, He also that received the seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh what? Unfruitful. Here's seed that when the sower throws it out into the field, very soon it begins to grow, but along with it there begin to grow these weeds, these thorns and thistles. And they wrap around the plant and they keep it from ever becoming anything of consequence. And the same kind of thing could be said of the type of person who puts faith in the Lord Jesus but is consumed by worldliness. Now, thorns and thistles were a part of the curse that God put on the world. And they're a representation always of the things of this world. 
Many people, after they hear the truth of God's word, they allow the things of this world to drown out the voice of God's word in their soul and keep them from coming to genuine faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Three terms that are used to describe these three kinds of thorns that rise up in people's hearts. The first one that he uses is the care of this world. That represents the world's worries. Listen, I've been preaching long enough to be able to see this firsthand. You try to declare the gospel to someone, but they're more concerned about that text message on a phone. Or about, well, the food's in the oven. Or about what's the score. Or whatever the case may be. And it's the cares of this world that rob the seed of God's word from their hearts. And they never receive what Christ has done for them. The cares of this world. The second one that Jesus mentions here is the deceitfulness of riches. That would be the wealth of this world. There's a lot of people who won't come to Christ because they're too consumed with the almighty dollar. What, did it, what, what would that mean if I convert to Christianity, if I believe in what Christ has done for me? Will I have to give up my job? Will I have to give up my wealth? Will I have to give up the things that I want? It keeps many people from coming to trust Christ as their Savior the third type of thorn mentioned in Mark's gospel is the lust of other things. And this represents the world's pleasures. A lot of people, instead of coming to Christ, instead of receiving the truth of the gospel of Christ, they're more concerned about their hobbies, their habits, the things that they enjoy to do. It comes to a certain time in the service, they stop listening to the gospel because they're more concerned about, well, I hope he hurries up. I want to beat the Methodist to the lunch place. Oh, come on, you've thought that before, I'm sure of it. You're probably thinking it right now that I mentioned it, all right? Can you hurry it up, preacher? We allow the things of this world to distract us from hearing the very important message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When a man with a worldly heart hears God's word, very quickly the weeds of this world rise up to choke out the voice of the word, leaving him barren spiritually. I say this is why the Lord tells us in 1 John chapter 2, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away and the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God shall abide forever. And through all my years of pastoring, I've seen this played out too many times. Someone comes and they make an outward profession of faith in Jesus Christ. But very soon, they allow the things of this world to begin to rob their focus. Maybe it's sports. Maybe it's the job. Maybe it's, well, I'm just too so tired on Sunday and I need to take some time to rest. And very soon, they allow themselves to become consumed. And what seemed like a genuine decision turns out to be something that was far off from it. And they walk away. And the seed of the word of God is choked, suffocated out of life from their heart. Here's what I'll say to you. A true follower of Christ will be willing to forsake everything to follow him. That's a tough truth, but that's what Jesus said. 
Right? Jesus said in Matthew 16 and verse 24, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And then he says, For what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And friend, your worldly heart will pursue you to get things in this world, but it cannot meet the deepest need in your heart, and that is to trust Christ as your Savior. So these are the three problem hearts. Wayward heart, the hard heart, the weak heart, shallow Christianity, and then we have the uh, worldly heart. I wonder if this is the condition of any of your heart. Now let's look at the final one and we'll be done. I want you to look at the willing heart. Verse 23. It says, But he that received the seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word... And understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some an hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. The last kind of seed is the good ground. When the seed is sown on this ground, it's soft, it's fertile, it's ready to receive it, and very soon it does receive it and produces fruit. This is the, this describes the kind of heart that God desires for all men and women to have. See this type of person, here's the same word that all the other types of people heard. The, the word is the same for everybody. What's different about this person is verse number 23 says he understands it. That means that the Holy Spirit of God gives him the ability to be able to perceive what God is saying and receive Jesus Christ as his Savior. This is the person who allows God to work in his heart and chooses to meet Jesus on his terms. When a person receives the seed of God's word on good ground, they acknowledge, I'm a sinner and I can't save myself, but Jesus Christ has come and died on a cross to pay for my sins and he was buried and three days later he rose again from the dead and I believe Jesus is alive in heaven today and if I call out to him and ask him to save me and to forgive me of my sins, he'll save me and he'll, and he'll take me to heaven one day when I die. That's the kind of heart that this person has, a willingness to meet Jesus on his terms. And the Bible says that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Praise God for that. That's the kind of heart that God is looking for. And the genuineness of such a heart of faith will always be evidenced by fruit in their life. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, you will know them by their fruits. And we aren't saved because of our good works, but we are saved unto good works. In other words, when you experience the transforming grace of Christ, when you trust him as your savior and he takes up residence in your heart, how could your life not be changed? The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and it gives us a whole list of things that changes in our hearts the moment we trust Christ as our Savior. True salvation always results in fruit bearing as God works in our hearts from the inside out. Always. And some of you have been holding on to a profession of faith sometime in the past that has made no difference in your life. You ought to really ask yourself an important question about the genu genuineness and the sincerity of the faith that you claim. Because it's not just a little difference. 
See, if you look at verse 23, the Bible says that when this kind of seed of God's word is sown in someone's heart, it produces supernatural returns. A hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. In that pal- Palestinian era, era uh, uh, when the Bible was written, uh, 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 secular ancient writings record that the average return was one to eight. Uh, or, I'm sorry, eight to one. Um, uh, 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 out of the fields. The kind of returns that Jesus describes here in this passage are four times that, that amount. Uh, it's 3,000% returns, 6,000% returns, all right? 10,000% returns. Some of you farmers say, I'd like to have that. That'd be fantastic, right? The point is, when Jesus said, this is the kind of fruit it's going to produce, the people of that time were like, whoa, I've never heard of such a thing. And that's the point. When God's word begins to work in your heart, it's transformational. It completely revolutionizes your life. It's not just a little bit better. Jesus made my life a little bit better. It's no, Jesus completely changed my life. He made me a new person. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And I ask you, is that the kind of transformation that your professed faith in Jesus Christ has produced in your life. I'm not saying we're all would be perfect. Jesus Christ, when he saves our soul, he does begin a work of grace in our life, though. And there ought to be transformation. So I ask you a final time. What is the condition of the soil of your heart? The gospel goes out to everybody. But you have a kind of heart today. You're either hardened to it, right? You're either shallowly professing faith in it, but you don't genuinely believe in it. You become worldly, and the things of this world are robbing you from accepting what Christ has done for you. Or you can have a willing heart to receive what Christ has done for you and be saved today. And praise God, some of you are like those disciples that Jesus said, you are blessed. Because you have seen this. And you have received Christ as your Savior. And if that's the case you're in, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. It's a great thing to be saved. In all of this congregation, there's many people. You think you know Christ. You think you're a Christian. But in your heart of hearts, you know that is not true. And today is the day for you to profess genuine faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. One, one last verse, 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5. The Bible says, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. You have to examine your heart. Jesus gave you a great story to help you see the condition of your heart. May God help us to respond to it. Look.